Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Barbara Morgan, and you're listening to Austin Film Festival's On Story. This week on On Story, we'll hear from Bill Hader and Alec Berg, the creators of HBO's hit crime show, Barry. Alec Berg is a writer, producer, and director whose credits include Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Silicon Valley, and Barry, which he co-created with Bill Hader. He's been nominated for 18 Emmys, 10 Writers Guild Awards, and a Razzie. Bill Hader is an actor, writer, and producer best known for his work on Saturday Night Live for which he received four Primetime Emmy Award nominations and a Peabody Award. I spoke with Alec Berg and Bill Hader at the Austin Film Festival on a panel about their process of creating their hit HBO series, Barry. Barry stars Bill Hader as a hitman who travels to Los Angeles to kill someone and finds himself drawn to human connection in the form of a group of aspiring actors. You guys are wearing all the hats. So can you talk about that dance of working together in your particular case and how you sort of split those creative functions, even though you're both doing them? You know, I mean, it's an interesting yin yang. We just started from a place of like, well, what's interesting and what would be fun? And you just sort of build it one brick at a time and you just sort of follow it wherever it goes. I sort of have likened the process to like two idiots standing at a piano just hitting notes and going, well, that sounds good, you know, or that doesn't sound good with that. It's an enormous amount of trial and error, which is probably maybe not time-wise or energy-wise the most efficient way to write, but, you know, it seems to be working. So it's a lot of you'll know it when you see it, and we both seem to be comfortable working that way. Yeah, for me also is just trying to find the personal aspect to it. And then I was on Saturday Night Live and I have terrible anxiety. I really that stage fright. I don't like being in front of a lot of people. And and I just was telling him like the irony of this. You know, I got this job, but it was like slowly killing me. <laughs> you know, was, and then it was like, oh, that's an interesting emotion. And then we just kind of talked about that. And then it was like, you know, the thing you said earlier, what if I was a hitman, you know, but he hates it, but he's, he's naturally good at killing people, but it's, it's killing him. It's a thing. It's, it's ruining his soul. That's an, what does he want to be? And then we very quickly were like, oh, he should be in an acting class. And then, and then it was kind of like, oh, what if Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver had to hang out with the, he found salvation and redemption with the people from Waiting for Government. And that in and of itself kind of brought the tone together. That was us banging at the piano. It was like, we kind of guessed about an actor. It's like, what's the opposite of being a hitman? Like, what's something that's like very dramatic and flighty and kind of not hardcore? And immediately after, it was just kind of a random stab at like, oh, th those are juxtaposed. Yeah, me too. Hey. Hey, Barry, hey, I just, I wanted to say sorry for snapping at you back there. I, I, I didn't realize you were an actor. Oh, I'm, I'm not an actor. What are you going to do for your monologue? I did the scene from The Blind Side, you know, the one where Sandy Bullock interrupts football practice. This team is your family. You protect his blind side. Do you remember that? It won her an Oscar. I'm not doing a monologue. That would be a good motto for you. Let's go brainstorm. A bunch of us are going to residuals. What's residuals? I had been in improv classes and it was like this weird therapy. And I remember Alec going like, Hitman in an acting class is really good. That's when the, the lunch took a turn where it was like, oh no, we're in love now. <laughs> it was kind of that anxiety of like, oh no. Oh, we got something now. Ah, oh, man, now this could well, go because this is good. There was a funny thing when we shot the pilot, 
And Bill directed the pilot. So he went away to cut a version of the pilot. And I was in the middle of doing a season of Silicon Valley. We had shot the pilot during my break between seasons. So I was up to my eyeballs in Silicon Valley stuff while Bill was cutting the pilot. And he said, okay, I think I have something I'm ready to show you. And I sat in the edit room and I watched his cut of the pilot. And I remember at the end of it, like I started, I think getting, looking sicker and sicker. And I think Bill was feeling like, oh, he hates it. He oh, hates yeah. it. He no, hates I it. Left. I left on edit because so I was like, oh, he hates yeah. it. And at the end of watching the pilot, he comes back. I had turned green at that point. He's like, is it that bad? And I go, no, it's the reason I look sick to my stomach is I think we're going to have to, we're going to end up having to make this show. So it's you two and a few other writers. You've got a couple of directors that are consistently you guys and Hiro Mirai and writers like Liz Sarnoff and Duffy Boudreaux, Emily Heller. You've got some great folks clearly on your team. How did you go about, I mean, this is so in y'all's head, so much so because it's Bill's character, right? Alec and I kind of see things from one point of view. I'm going to sound really pretentious here, but Kurosawa always wrote with like five people. And he said mm. it was, was because I'm a film nerd. I have the Criterion channel, just so you guys know. Um, but uh, uh, Kurosawa wrote with five different people. And he said, because you can't write from just one point of view. You can't see a, a human being just from one point of view. You have to see it from five different points of view to have a fully formed person. And it's kind of the same thing where you bring in people that have different strong suits that we just don't have. Like Liz Sarnoff comes from Deadwood and uh, Lost and these other great shows, Alcatraz and these other things. And she just has a story sense that, I mean, I don't, I don't think either of us really have and, and I think Liz, Liz Sarnoff is someone who brings a lot of I don't know like a lot of kind of very bold story moves you know she's always the one pitching a good example I would say is the end of episode six of season one where they're in the car and they're on the they're driving towards the plane and initially and I, I remember the same pitching and then you see the car get shot and it flips and she said no, 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 you should just cut right in the middle of them shooting. So we just think everybody died. Like that cut to black. That's a very Liz Sarnoff thing. Just make everybody go, wait, did everybody just get murdered? <laughs> you know? And then in the next episode, reveal what happened at the top of seven. You know, so, and you learn a lot from that. It's also... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but you also need writers who sometimes when you say, we want this to connect to this, you, you need writers who go, why? Yeah. Why? That's not what you should want. Yeah. And why let me explain to you there? why. Right. That's a bad idea. There was a, a thing, sorry to interrupt, Bill, but the, there was a thing season one where we had this idea that Barry gets Sally a, a laptop. Wait, you, you're so crazy. I said no gifts, but you brought a. Oh, um, I'm going to go talk to Sasha. Hi. How's it going? Hey, how did it go? Great. Yeah, it all went so great. When, when do you find out if you got it? What's with the laptop? Oh, uh, this is uh, for you. Uh, yours was cracked, so I, I bought you a new one. That's like three months of my rent. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Uh, do, you, uh, do you want a drink? Oh, I, yeah, well, I already have a drink, so. All right, cool. It's this very nice gift. So we were explaining where we thought the story went. And a couple of the writers, 
particularly the women in the room were like, that's a super creepy, weird gift. And we were like, no, no, it isn't. Yeah, we were um, two dudes it, like, that's a really nice gift. And they're like, you're creeps if you think that's a nice gift. <laughs> you sleep with the guy once and he gives you a laptop? Yeah. Like, what, what are you joking? And we were like, what is wrong with that? You know, Part of it was because we had like three more beats worked out where we were like, no, 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 no. We need that to work so that we can get to this and this. And they were like, no, that's, that's wrong. And eventually we, you know, because we respected and trusted their point of view, we were like, okay, well, wait, okay. If that's wrong, then what would happen? And then we started going down this other road. And again, it was like standing at the piano and it's like, oh, okay, this note is wrong. So if this note is right, what comes after that? And we chased it down a totally different path and got something that ended up being much, much better. I remember going, well, if we do that, then Barry and Sally are breaking up mid-season. And Liz went, that's way more interesting than them being together all season. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, okay, that's kind of true, you know? Yeah. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, I don't know. Something's happening. (laughs) You're talking about beating on a piano, but to me it sounds kind of like a mix of intuition like you've got people with story sense but it's also like where's the right place for us to go here like how do we move on from here so you're working this out through these episodes rather than having it laid out like you said before with all this backstory and um, information but I mean that's a little risky right that's like kind of a risky way of going about a show yeah it's terrifying yeah it's terrifying it's kind of like we'll talk about scenes and you kind of, you know, we call it filling buckets. You'll kind of go, oh, that scene seems like it wants to be in episode four someplace. And that scene wants to be here. Like, for instance, season one, we kind of knew Barry goes up on stage and something bad's happened. And he actually has like this cathartic guilt realization that he's this killer and he has some kind of grief moment that is conceived as good acting and it happens on stage. And so we start writing towards that. And then two months later, you're talking and then you go, and you go, oh, what if he has to kill his friend Chris? That's it, I'm going to the cops and I'm gonna tell him everything. And if I gotta do some time, fine. But I'm coming clean. Why did you say that? Why did you Facebook me, dude? You're a hit man and then you f***ing Facebook why'd you just say that I told you to get out of the car man and we go hey that could be the grief moment and then everything just like snaps together and you're like oh thank god so it's a lot of patience <laughs> and it's a lot of talking it out. It's really interesting when you tell a story, how like when you're working on something, it's always, I find very helpful to tell somebody who doesn't know the story. Even if they don't give you any feedback or any, you know, encouragement or any notes or thoughts, just the act of you telling the story to somebody who doesn't know it you, it's very telling how you tell the story. Yeah. Because if you, I find if you tell three different people a, like the vague gist of what you're working on and you leave out the same part, yeah, it's not the time you're telling it, it, that means something, you know? And it's, it's fascinating to me, like telling somebody the story who doesn't know it 
is really, it's how you tell the story is very indicative of what's working and what isn't. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to tell them this part because that's really working. But this part is always boring and I always skip over this part. I think that's a very good diagnostic. You can sit in an edit room by yourself for weeks and cut a scene and cut a scene and cut a scene and it, this is working great and this is working great. And as, as soon as you show it to somebody even if you don't get any feedback from them whatsoever, you watch it very differently when you watch it with someone who's never seen it before. And you're sitting here watching it as if you're an audience member. You have a very non-conventional piece here. So it's, to me, a little bit more than just telling a story and trusting in that process. I mean, you've got an absurdist layer here. You've got drama, like outright drama, and then clearly comedy, right? So that's a lot to mix together in 30 minutes, right? And keep people, and plot. Is that something you're always talking about in your room? Is it something you two are always thinking about? It's more intuitive and it's, it kind of goes back to that idea of following the emotion and the logic of things, you know, and you kind of go, like I remember someone seeing it or someone interviewing us goes, I don't get why the, the bad guys are funny. And I go, well, they don't know they're bad guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> they just, they came to LA with a dream, just like Barry, you know, and they're just people. You're just telling the story and following the characters and trying to be honest. That, that's the bigger thing is just being honest and not, you know, a big a big turning point for us in writing the show, I think, was this the, the scene where Barry kills Chris. It was kind of the moment in season one where you were like, okay, you know, you just get to that place. Well, what would happen here? And it wasn't, it was him killing Chris, which was rough, but also, and playing that real, you know, Chris begging for his life, reminding Barry that, hey, I have a wife and a kid and all that. But it was more like once that scene ended and going, well, can you be funny after that? We both come out of comedy, and I think anybody would say, well, after that, you know, you can't have any jokes or anything because that's such a sad scene and it's so terrible. It was like, yeah, why not, you know? These other people, these other characters uh, don't know about that. <laughs> they don't know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so why can't they, why would they stop being funny? And then we did it and no one said anything. No one, it, it held together. And I think the reason it holds together is because it's honest. Everyone's being honest and they're being true to themselves. Weirdly, the show is about a guy who is in one very dark, violent world who's trying to make his way into a lighter, happier, more communal place. And the more jarring the tone sometimes shifts from one to the other, weirdly, the more it puts you with Barry right? In this sense of like, oh, the audience is going through the same kind of growth and struggle that Barry is because Barry's getting ripped back and forth between these two worlds. And if something goes from super dark to super funny, it is, it's surprising and jarring. And you're kind of with, like, that's Barry's emotional journey is that he's simultaneously having to kill people and having to audition, you know, and, and it's also, I think, very telling what Barry cares deeply about. That was another thing that we landed on very early is we kind of landed on this idea that in the two worlds, that the world of crime is very, very high stakes, but very low drama for Barry. Like people are dying, but he's not emotionally moved by it. He's kind of dead to it. But the world of acting is very low stakes, but very high drama. You know, it's just, it's, it's, he's trying to deliver one line in a piece for Sally in some crap theater in front of an audience of nine people, but like that's much more important to him than saving his own life is. Yeah. 
you guys had a scene in season two that was kind of what we're talking about here and that I don't know that I would have thought of it as intuitive, but where Barry gets up on the stage and he's telling the story to the actors and Cousineau about what really happened to him in Afghanistan. And you made a lot of choices in that scene that are kind of crazy. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought it would be intuitive that these two people would jump up on stage and start acting it out, you know, and that that, that was, uh, again, I'm going to throw out risky because it just felt like, wow, that could really, really not work, you know, like that could really be kind of icky. I think that scene, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alec, came out of us talking about what's the acting class doing this season? Season one, they did this Shakespeare festival and we were kind of like, we don't really want them doing another writer's work or another series of plays. And it was like, what if it's more personal or whatever? And then I, I think I was like, oh, it'd be great. And this is, again, the buckets. What if in episode four, Barry tells the story of the first time he killed somebody? I asked if we should radio Lieutenant Hubble. Uh, should we maybe radio Lieutenant Hubble, sir? No, you don't got to radio him, man. Take the shot, dude. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. He says, that's a green light to shoot the guy. Look, you're going to miss anyway, man. Just get... see it was like oh he's he's you know he he has no real connection with this person he killed and instead of it being this awful thing it was actually one of the best moments of his life it was the first time he ever felt accepted and then we talked about it it was like oh what if the audience you see the juxtaposition of what happened in Afghanistan which was you know here I said it's like a kid who's the new kid at school who's really good at asteroids <laughs> like everyone's like well, yeah. you know and this community that he gets from murdering somebody who he doesn't see who we don't see so he has no real connection to this human to what these actors think he must have gone through and that they would think well if that happened to me my life would be over and i would want to kill myself and barry realizes just how this community that he wants to belong to so badly how he has no they're never ever going to really connect but there's a side of him that they don't know about and that they will never be able to accept that if he did say to them this was one of the best moments of my life they wouldn't understand that so he feels even more ostracized and then alec was smart and he said that should be the end of episode one <laughs> i was like you're right it's like that to me seems like that's what the whole season's about and it was like right <laughs> that scene could really have not worked and it, you know it was risky but also that's what the writing process is is sometimes you come up with things very late in the game that make you seem like a much better writer than you are because you're almost apologizing for mistakes you made earlier in the process where all of a sudden you like in episode six or seven sometimes you come up with something and you go oh my god what if that's the thing that's yeah. set up in episode one so that then it comes back and that guy in episode three is the same guy and well, the then book, she's the, the acting, acting book in season one was that way where we were like oh wait what if the acting book you know what i mean and then it was like oh we got to go back and put that acting yeah. book in 
but we actually went back and did some, some little reshoots to set that up. And so what you're seeing is the finished product, Mm -hmm. right? But what you don't realize is, you know, how much work went in. It just seemed like that just happened. I will also say feeling icky and stuff, a lot of it too, and you have to have a lot of confidence when you're pitching stuff that you have good, that you and your collaborators have good taste, you know, and that there is always a version of every scene that's really icky, you know, that's, that's just bad choices, you know, um, and a lot of that comes from knowing you're your eye directed that, that episode that he's going to keep it all at the right level with those actors, that those two actors, Kirby Baptiste Howell and writer uh, Doyle who come up on stage, they know that world, you know, writer is actually the one that told us about that exercise whereas people would hop up on stage. So play it real. Don't push it. Play it real, you know, and don't do crazy cuts. Don't just do hard cuts from Afghanistan to the other thing. I'd like to talk a little bit about Barry himself. To me, he's just, he's just such a fascinating character. I think he's so attractive in some ways because of what he isn't. You know, I don't like him. I don't dislike him. I find him to be somebody, though, that he's around. He's just interesting. He becomes whatever is in the room. How much of Bill is, how much of you are, is in this? And in your writing process, how much are you thinking of it as you're writing it? and sort of self-correcting. I will say Barry is kind of always the last thing we think about. And as a writer, for me, I'm always less interested. I'm like, Alec can attest, I'm like one of those people, I don't really write well for myself. I like writing for other people, but when it comes to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we'll, we'll figure it out. It's like all kind of intuitive and it's kind of like you put it on its feet and you kind of go, was that all right? Uh, you know, it's like, did that make sense? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it, again, without sounding kind of sound too pretentious or whatever, kind of comes from, yeah, yourself and, and feelings that you've had of, of not fitting in, wanting a community, feeling guilty, uh, anger, being afraid of your own anger, falling in love with somebody and, and not knowing how to handle that, looking for a mentor, um, needing a mentor, uh, a codependency, you know, all those things are things that i can, re- I guess, you know, relate to on some level, but I have a very hard time being able to like intellectualize it in the writer's room. Some of the stuff that I find that fleshes Barry out so much are the two relationships with, I mean, he may be bad at his girlfriend relationship, but really he's a terrible picker of a father figure. And he has these two people who are, who are equally narcissistic and maybe one more evil than the other. But the relationships there, they do feel very real to me, even though the Stephen Root's character, Fuchs, is so insane. So I'm just, you know, kind of wondering how you, because you really started out with it much more humorfully in the first season. And by season two, it becomes like a real search. I mean, it's a real search for him to find this father figure, you know? So can you talk about that piece of it? Stephen Root's character, Fuchs, in the initial version of the pilot that we actually shot was a very dark, angry, threatening, ominous kind of bully of a character. And when we started writing the series, and it was it was one thing that HBO was really helpful with, is they were just like, look, we know what a hitman is. We know what an actor is. We know what an acting teacher is. We know what an, uh, a fledgling actress is. We don't really know what a hitman agent 
is. And so that it's not, something's off there. And when we started thinking about, well, okay, who is Fuchs and how would he have gotten to Barry and how would Barry have gotten into this? We started realizing that Fuchs being like a family friend who was kind of like a low rent con man who had sort of pretended to be Barry's friend and really a father figure to him, not a boss, not a mean, angry guy, but a guy who's like, you know, hey, buddy, listen, man, I want the best for you. And that's why you got to do this. Like, I'm, I'm just here for you. Fuchs? Hey. How long have you been watching me sleep? Money from the Rochester job just cleared. One less bad guy in the world, nice work, as usual, Barry. Oh, well, he was in bed, so it wasn't work exactly. Why did it take two days? Uh, I was doing recon to make it clean. Or relaying around the hotel room like in Sioux Falls last month or St. Paul before that. Look, these extra expenses, they add up, Barry. All right. Oh, God, I'm worried about you, buddy. Not only was that character much more fun, but it actually made it much more kind of sad and, and it made... Barry's relationship much more, I think, heart-wrenching that it was like, oh God, this guy, Barry really trusts this guy. This is like his only friend, the only guy he talks to in the span of a day and the guy's clearly manipulating him. And so that change, I think, made a huge difference in the way we wrote the show and we found a ton of of humor that wasn't there before. Uh, And Stephen Root is such a brilliant comedic performer that allowing him to be, I mean, he's an incredible dramatic performer and the performance he gave in sort of the uh, the initial version of, of Fuchs was incredible. And it was funny. We had to call him up and we had to say sort of like, you know, good news, bad news. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, again, you start there and then as it starts to flesh out and you start moving along with the journey of this Barry is changing, you know, you start to realize like it's really complicated, but he really loves Barry. That's the closest that he's, you know, once you talk about it, you're like, well, this is the closest this guy has ever come to really loving somebody which is pretty messed up. Episode eight, season one, when he thinks Barry's dead, he goes on a bender and is crying. And and then episode four in season two, when he revealed that he's double-crossed him, he feels terrible. He can't live with himself. So, you know, he, it's a very complicated thing, but then that gives Steven something to play. And again, that comes from being in the room and everybody talking about mentors and father figures and what themselves being mentors to people and and or relationships they've had with people that were kind of complicated and messed up, and then you you put that in there. On Story is brought to you in part by the Alice Kleberg Reynolds Foundation, a Texas family providing innovative funding since 1979. This project is supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department, the Texas Commission on the Arts, the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, Texas Library and Archives Commission, and the National Endowment for the Arts, on the web at arts.gov. Support for On Story comes from Bogle Family Vineyards, sixth-generation farmers, and third-generation winemakers, creating sustainably grown wines that are a reflection of the Bogle family values since 1968. This show is produced by myself, Barbara Morgan. Our associate producers are Jamal Knox and Colin Heyer. Our editors are Jamal Knox and Travis Neely. Music is by Brian Ramos. Production assistance comes from Sound Lab Inc., Travis Kennedy Sound, and KUT 90.5 in Austin. Go to austinfilmfestival.com to find out more about Austin Film Festival and Conference each October. Until next time, I'm Barbara Morgan, and this has been Austin Film Festival's On Story.